0: The evening of September 12, 2008, Ken Widener and Mother Nature joined forces to create an experience that transported us back to 1846 in a way none of us there that evening will ever forget. We have so much fun in this episode reminiscing with Ken, Marilyn Yost, Jim Groth, and Howard and Londa Kane about the hospitality we enjoyed in their homes, and especially the magical evening we spent in Ken's teepee. Today, I'm excited about this episode because of the people that you will be able to meet. Uh, On our trek, of course, we met many wonderful people. But the time that we spent in this area of Kansas was very special. And we had such wonderful experiences with these folks that it's a real treat for us to be able to have them on the call today. I grew up out in Utah knowing the Oregon Trail. So the Santa Fe Trail was new to me when Kevin started researching the battalion trail. And as you know, the battalion traveled a good portion of the way, at least to Santa Fe, on the Santa Fe Trail. And these folks um, welcomed us with open arms. They are involved with the Santa Fe Trail. And we had guides. We had hosts. We had scouts we had people that welcomed us with open arms and just fussed over us to no end and it just made such an impression on us uh, the way that they cared for us so today let's um let everybody introduce themselves and i'm just going to let you start ken then marilyn and then jim you've had a lot
1: of experience with people reviewing the san fe trail and uh So I I think we're kind of interested in that. How do you view people who are studying the trail and and things in particular with us, but uh, it it applies to others looking at the trail as well. And I know there's been a lot of people doing doing trail uh, hikes and and, uh, reenactments and things like that over the years. Well, there's
2: Mm -hmm. lots of people who study the trail, but there's not that many people who take it seriously enough to March the the whole trail. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Boy, that was that was gracious of you. Seriously. <laughs> well, it's I don't know of very
2: many others. You know, like you say, there are people who travel parts of the trail from time to time and and do segments of it and uh, mm-hmm. eventually get quite a distance. But to just lay in and one go and yeah. and uh, march the trail from one end to the other, that's, that's a pretty serious commitment.
3: Yeah, there's a guy named Oliver McCloskey that I think that's how you say his name. He rode the trail this year with a horse and he just ended up in Santa Fe about two weeks ago. He's from up in Wyoming or Montana. He's an AMM guy, American Mountain Man guy. and uh, He's pretty serious about it. But he was also riding. He wasn't walking. So <laughs> makes a well, in some ways it makes it easier. In some way, it makes it harder when you're using horses. You know.
0: Yeah, we didn't have to find somewhere to feed our horses. Just our gas, guzzling yeah.
3: equipment. <laughs> right, right, and and what you just said was huge back the, back in the day, especially because you had to have your, you know, you had to have. That was the thing. The three things, you know, uh, grass, water, you know. Place to crash in and fuel, you know, every night for your animals. Um, more so than you, because you go a week without grass for them horses or mules or whatever oxen. You're in a world of hurt. Where if you're out there on foot, you know you could be packing. It, but but they, you know, they had wagons along, so you, you got to take care of your stock.
2: So. Well, they would have had wagons for supplies and gear and that sort of thing, but the battalion itself they they marched, didn't they? I mean, they, they would they didn't have animals to ride,
1: just the officers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true, and uh, and and Cook comments about that. Uh, the men talk about that. They get. Uh, and I know your area is considered the Great American Desert, but oh my gosh, you're not even close to a real desert. Uh, we <laughs> got out of New Mexico and in Arizona and California. Oh my gosh, uh, we we hiked for two days, and half of one day there was absolutely nothing. I mean, not a blade of grass, just gypsum dust, and that's yeah. it. And yeah. uh, one of the one of the captains. Uh, turned to cook and he said you know gosh our animals are starting to look really bad and cook back turned back to him and said i don't give a damn about the animals it's the man i'm worried about yeah
0: one of the places that we went in new mexico there was a big huge sign that said stop now if you proceed you will die call the border (laughs) patrol call this number (laughs) (laughs) Those poor battalion members, they didn't have that sign
2: to warn them. They just had to walk (laughs) on through. They had to just keep going. You didn't pay any attention to the sign either, did you? You just kept going.
0: (laughs) No, we took a photo. We have a nice photo of it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like Marilyn just pulled up in front of our house, it sounds like. Oh. (laughs) Come here, (laughs) Miss Marilyn.
1: (laughs) The more the merrier.
0: Oh, oh, I'm
4: here with Kenny. I gave up. I was on a dirt, dusty road, no, no service. So I showed up at Kenny's house. This is Marilyn.
0: Hi Marilyn. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, I could tell that you were we were gonna struggle to be able to hear you. Kenny
4: and I are sitting pretty close, but it's a good thing we're neighbors.
3: Okay, everything's good. Howard, he's not on here.
4: Howard's not. Mm -hmm. And he's the techie one.
3: That's kind of what I was thinking. Weird. (laughs) Marilyn said, Howard's out at Bent's Fort, and he's not going to be able to participate.
0: I was able to talk to Howard and Londa Kane after we did the original interview, and so you will be able to get to hear some of their thoughts and memories as well.
3: All right. Uh, this is Ken Widener. I'm from Copeland, Kansas, and uh, I live four miles south of the Cimarron Cutoff. And I think Denny had contacted, or not Denny, but Kevin had contacted me way back in the spring and told me you guys were, coming, were planning on coming through. And then when I heard that you're closer, um, and I'll try to get back to that later, that story, uh, I contacted these neighbors and uh, we all just kind of converged. And that's kind of how I remember it. And I'll turn it over to Marilyn here.
4: Well, hello, I'm Marilyn and my husband is Damon Yost and he's in the harvest field, so he cannot attend. But Damon and I are neighbors to Kenny. We just live west of him about what three or four miles five miles Um, and we've been friends all our lives and uh, neighbors and we love the trail we live right on it and we love history and artifacts and so yeah ken's a natural with us (laughs) and um he invited us down here to his house to meet you all and it was that moonlit night um in the teepee and it was easy and natural to become friends with you kevin and denny um We all had the same thing in mind, and we all had a lot in common, and of course, we love to feed people, and you were walking, so that was a natural, and he was coming right by our house, so why wouldn't we invite you in for lunch, and yeah, Damon got a bang out of his four-wheeler ride, caught in the dust. He still drives like that. And what really tickled us was how you said that Damon was a daredevil, but yet when you were at his sister Londa's house, it was nothing but peace. <laughs> <laughs> what a contrast, because but that's how true. That is how true it is. <laughs> De- uh, uh, Dear Howard is my brother-in-law, and he wouldn't, you know, raise a feather. He's calm cool and collected at all times. And Londa's real cool with him. She may listen to this later get a bang out of this, but this is a fact. And Damon and I live on a powder keg. You never know what makes. So anyway, it was fun getting ready for you. I had dear little Madison with me. She is now a school teacher up in Oregon. I will be showing her her picture of her youth days 13 years ago. She talked to me about that recently and said Marilyn I will never forget that day when you had these people walk in in their um, outfits. And there again, Kevin, I remember you and your Possible's bag and Denny in your dress and your bonnet. I can just see it like yesterday. And we had so much fun getting ready for you for lunch. So, yes, it was just a given. And I'm so glad that it's part of our memory and that we've done this and that we're still friends. All right, back to Kenny. Let's go over to Jim.
2: Yes, this is Jim Groth. I... uh... I live at Satanta, Kansas. I'm on the western side of Haskell County. Ken and Marilyn live on the eastern side of the county. We're about 25 miles apart. But uh, I was invited in by Ken when he had when he knew that you were coming through. He invited me in to uh, be a part of it, and wound up staying at our place here for a couple of nights. Uh, one of the things you'd ask for was a one-word description of uh, of our evening in the, in the teepee and I, I was having difficulty coming up with just one word to describe it but I think Marilyn has the word and that is surreal it was it was very much a an evening that few people get an opportunity to do it's just being with the, with, the, with the group of people we were with and spend the evening and and the the evening itself like Marilyn said it was full moon ground fog dead calm is just just an amazing evening so I I remember it and think about it every once in a while. So
0: It's something that we just cannot ever forget, I don't think. And for those people that are listening, let me just give you a little bit of context. We got to Ken's the first day, and then the next morning we went to Howard and Londa's for breakfast, and then Marilyn and Damon invited us for lunch, and Jim invited us for dinner. So... It was um, non-stop hospitality, Kansas style. It was awesome.
1: I had to waddle down the road the next day. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah.
0: And Marilyn was saying that how much she, um, you love to feed people. I had read in my journal, we were so grateful because um, with all the moving in the vehicles, when we got to your house, Jim, we hadn't eaten. So we were so hungry. And I was <laughs> like, I'm so grateful for these hamburgers and this cool lemonade and this homemade ice cream. And then Marilyn's lunch was just like a gourmet, homegrown, fresh from the farm garden extravaganza. So, and then the dinner um, that we had at Ken's, we will get into later. But, Kevin, do you want to say hello so they know your voice?
1: <laughs> well, hi, guys. I'm, I'm here. I mean, I, I've said a couple things, but I'm just listening. I'm having a great time. Yeah.
0: As I was listening to this, I thought, how could I possibly be hungry if I was having people feed me breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And so I went back to my journal and discovered that the day that we were hungry was the day that we walked and came back to Ken's house. Um, In my journal, I wrote, um, the turkey was delicious, and it was neat that Kevin was asked to say grace. Grace he offered a beautiful prayer, and I silently added a little thank you of my own for providing food since we hadn't had a chance to get to the store. I thought we would run across to town today, but we didn't even come close. The words, the Lord will provide, came to mind. Good afternoon. How are you guys? We're doing great, I think. Well, thanks for making time for me on your busy Saturday. I just wanted to I just hated to not at least try to get any of the memories you had before I published the um, episode about our night uh, at Ken's Teepee. Londa, how are you?
5: I'm good. Thank you.
0: <laughs> it's good to hear your voice. Howard says that you're not remembering much, so that's fine. It's only been 13 years.
5: Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I've been a lot of water under the bridge since then.
0: It sure has. And I know, Howard, we've visited with you um, previously about us coming to your house and you helping Kevin with the Buffalo Wallace, So Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. What did you think when you heard that Kevin was trying to walk the, the trail?
6: Uh, Ken, Ken had talked to me a few months earlier when you were trying to uh, apparently plan your hike. And he had called me one day and, and said that, Uh, you people were going to be hiking through our area and you were wanting perhaps or he was asking for permission for you to stay in our in that lake bottom oh and uh, I said well sure that'd be fine and and I I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought till then you actually stayed at Ken's place So it wasn't a total new thought, but I'm not sure Ken had even invited me uh, or us. I I wonder if it wasn't Marilyn, Damon's Marilyn that mentioned it uh, to us and said they were invited and and they said, you're welcome too or something. I don't remember that for sure.
0: Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that um, that had been even discussed. So that's a fun thing to know about.
6: Yeah, Yeah, I remember him talking to me a long time before you come through, and I don't know, he must have been aware somewhat of your plans, or uh, I I don't know, I I never asked him about that later, what he knew about your plans or your travels or, or what was going on.
0: So, Ken, let's go back to you. And can you kind of help people understand how you had set things up? My memory of Ken, I'll share with you, is we were leaving a campground. We had spent like about three or four hours trying to get the mud off of all of our vehicles. (laughs) And so we were late getting to Ken's. We had 800
1: pounds of mud on our vehicles, at least.
0: (laughs) And so um, I'm coming down the road and all of a sudden the phone rings and Ken is on the phone and he said I can see you keep coming you're on the right road you're almost there and I looked at Kevin and I said how can he see us we're out in the middle of nowhere because Kansas is so stinking flat (laughs) so that was my introduction to Ken but then when we pulled in he just rushed up to us and welcomed us and he was like a little kid he was so excited to see us (laughs) and um he wanted us to get walking he said i need you to get walking because i've got a surprise for you so why don't you tell us what your surprise was ken
3: i'm trying to remember (laughs) Uh, i think did i did i set up the next day after you took off
0: no you sat up while we were walking that day and then you had dinner all set for us with that Yeah.
3: yeah that's what i mean uh but you guys left to go walk, and then during while you guys were out walking, I pitched the lodge, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. i it just. Uh, it's been a couple of years, so <laughs> we took off in the morning, and I wanted them them to leave, and then when they got back, <laughs> yeah, I could feel got, that
1: too. I wasn't quite sure what was going on. <laughs>
3: When they got back, I'd pitched uh, my teepee, uh, my Cheyenne style lodge, and had it kind of decked out with some stuff. And uh, then when they, so basically what I wanted to do is have them leave with nothing here. And then when they get back, they've got this camp set up. See, so that's kind of what we pulled off. We've done that two or three different places, and uh, people kind of get a kick out of that. You know, they come back a few hours later and there's all this stuff set up. So, that's kind of the gist of what it was. I, I got I to backtrack though and then and, and give just a little backstory. One of the things I distinctly remember, uh, I don't know, Kevin, you contact me, I don't know, in January or something like that. And I don't even remember what time, was it this time of year when you came through? Yeah. Yeah,
0: September. So you,
3: you, you told me, you said, well, we'll be there on this date. It's like, okay, I write it on the calendar. Like June, nothing. July, nothing. August, nothing. And it's like I told Meg. I said, "Well, these guys, you know, they gave up on this walk. They're, you know, they typical. They were just blowing smoke. You know, There's nothing's going to come of this." And then about I don't know a couple of days out. Hey, we're almost there. Are you going to still be? Are you? Are you still going to be around? Can we? see you or something like that. And it's like, what? <laughs> you're you're here already? And uh I just thought that was pretty funny, but I don't know why I thought that you are every night getting home and or getting off the trail and contacting all your contacts ahead of you. But I just I just thought that was pretty funny. And another one that ties in with that is um Dave Clapp saddle back at Larned. I'd called him at one point to see and maybe that's where you'd called from but he was telling me when you guys went through there you created quite a stir because uh you know you had you know you had a like a a camper and then there was a trailer and there was a Porter john on the trailer (laughs) clap saddle was down somewhere in in town and dave clap saddle was a real character he's passed away a few years ago but he was always a cut up and a quite a character, but he said he was talking to some of the locals and they said, there's a band of gypsies coming through. They even have an outhouse with them. And I thought that was the funniest story. <laughs> so, okay. So that kind of takes you up to my house and, uh, I guess that's it. Unless I don't know what else to say. Oh, I, the teepee, I guess. I do Southern Cheyenne reenacting and, and, uh, make reproductions and stuff. And so that's what I'd pitched. And and then I, I, I invited all these local neighbors that were interested in history and everybody came over and, and uh, we had turkey and, uh, and uh, then spent the night in the teepee. And like Marilyn was talking and Jim was talking, that evening the, the weather was, and, I, and I, I think Jim said it right, because Marilyn nailed it, is that it was surreal because there was that ground fog You couldn't really see through the fog, but the full moon was just shining right through. And I've never, ever seen it like that before or since. It was just unreal. And uh, I guess that's about it, probably. I'll turn it over to somebody else.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I remember about that day. I remember coming back from our walk, and I didn't see the teepee when we first got back. And you were out preparing the turkey, and... Uh, you said, go in and rest, and then dinner will be ready in a little bit. So I went in the trailer to get a drink of water, and the way the trailer was situated, the window uh, uh, above the sink was looking out at your yard, and that's when I saw the teepee. And I told Kevin, oh my gosh, look at this. (laughs) And so we ran outside, and then you came and let us have a tour. You took us and showed us everything inside it, and we do have millions of pictures, as you know, and I will share some of those with your permission.
2: Sure.
0: But And then to have the dinner that you had done, I had only had one other dinner ever that had been cooked in a pit, and that was up in the mountains of Utah. And it wasn't cooked exactly the way you had done. You said you had wrapped it in mud. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah. um, so, do you want to talk just a little bit about how you did the turkey for those people? I've got a video of it, but it doesn't really describe your process. Just was well,
3: for 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 you uh, white people. Uh, <laughs> cleaned it up a little bit and uh, wrapped the turkey in aluminum foil, and then uh, wrapped it in mud, and I uh, had an old freezer freezer basket you know a wire basket that goes in a deep freeze and set it down in there and then dug a hole and had a fire going and got the coals in the bottom and then put the turkey in, and then covered up with more coals and walk away from it for several hours just like basically like cooking a hog only you can also use the wet burlap and stuff but uh but but uh you can cook, I've cooked fish, I've cooked turkeys, uh, cranes, ducks, all sorts of stuff like that. Wrap it in about an inch of mud. And then when you pull it out that, if you, when, you're, when we're at camps, we just wrap it in grass, you know, clean, as, as clean a grass as you can find. And, uh, but of course it gives a little flavor and whatnot. So uh, we, I, I wanted to not have that issue with y'all. So we did the aluminum foil keep it a little clean, but um, so anyhow, uh, when you pull that out and that mud, it just bakes on there like ceramic, like a like a pottery and it comes off in chunks. Cause, it, but the mud keeps the, the moisture of the mud stuff keeps all the juice in there. It, it, it just makes it a lot better, I think. So. Oh yeah. So that's kind of how we did it.
4: Oh, excuse me. Now we will know where to get our next Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> I think we'll be catering. I didn't even know he did this. Like you said, he humors us. We may not get it, but he humors us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if you have not had a steam pitted turkey or hog or or something like
4: that, oh my gosh. We're going to go for turkey now. Yeah.
0: You're stuck Uh, now, Ken. I'm sorry, what? You're stuck now. I think you're on Thanksgiving dinner this year.
4: I have the butternut squash.
1: oh yeah you can throw the vegetables in in with the meat too and and they'll all cook underground yeah yeah Yeah.
0: and i think you had some friends there that um were helping you can with natural dyes you were making dyes out of natural berries and things is that right
3: uh we i never have gotten quite in that far into it but we were dying Danny White was there, and uh, Danny White was a really good friend of mine up at Pierceville. He passed away about six or seven years ago, and we were partners on dyeing stroud wool, and, uh, which is a type of cloth that was traded to the Indians, and we originally it was dyed with indigo and with co- uh, cochineal or, or matter, matter red, and that is a whole nother ball game, those natural dyes. And I was going to get into that. And I just, I was really wanting to get into the natural dyes about the time you were here and uh, just never got around to it. Uh, So I'm still using, still using commercially made acid dyes. So it's my acid, the acid is vinegar to sets the dye into the wool. But but yeah, Danny was there. I saw that you had pictures of Danny and he had that, he had that revolving rifle that he bought at a gun show. And uh, it was an early, it could have been it was probably from the time frame about 40s or 50s, 1840s or 50s. And it was a, it was a rifle with a single barrel with a revolving cylinder like a like a revolver. Only this was not a Colt or a Remington. This was George Elmore for. for Fort Larned thinks it was probably a Belgium. It had Belgian proof marks on it. So anyway, there's that picture of Danny with that rifle. And uh, he was a really good friend. And uh, I really miss him a lot. So he was helping me. And I think Bill Coppage was there too, right, Jim? from Satana. Yes,
2: Bill, Bill was there, yes.
3: Yeah. And then I think there was Marilyn and Damon and Howard and Londa, I think, was it that night. Well
4: are less than Monday.
3: Well, I thought they were, but
2: they weren't in that photo.
3: Really? Okay.
4: I can't imagine yeah.
2: Les and Linda not
3: having been there. I
4: know. I thought so too. But...
2: That's what I remember. Uh, you know, just just a great evening. We're sitting in the in the lodge. Ken's got a small fire going in there, and conversation with was uh, was just a, a, a very memorable evening. I just don't haven't done anything like that since, and done a lot of things, but that is pretty special. And then when when you, uh, when you, Ken's place, then you came over to our place over here and spent
1: two evenings, I think. And then you went on from here. So, yeah, let me, let me back up and for the listeners, uh, just kind of set the scene a little bit. Uh, We'll try to put up a picture or two, but I don't think we have much inside the teepee. But uh, imagine um, a authentic, as authentic as possible reproduction teepee. Ken, what's what's the what's the diameter of that thing? About fourteen, fifteen feet.
3: That one, that one was at that time. I think that one that I had up was about a sixteen footer.
1: Okay, so this so 16, this is pretty 16, good. I mean, it's yeah, it's 15. it's bigger than most rooms that that yeah. people would have. Uh, and and all around the sides are authentic reproduction uh, containers, if you would, uh, painted. Uh, in the style of the Southern Cheyenne, uh, and all these are handmade. They're they're not purchased somewhere. They are handmade by people who are studying the history, and can as get as authentic as possible. And, and Ken's involved with the uh, material culture of the Plains. Am I saying that right, Ken? I material- Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, they, these are dedicated reenactors that try to find uh, the appropriate and, and authentic ways of making things. And then building them, Uh, I've been blessed to go to a couple of their conferences. My gosh, you know, we were not trying to be reenactors. We did kind of dress the part some of the time, some of the times not. But we were doing trail research and and trying to connect the journals with the trail. That's different. I I don't do ponies. I don't do mules. I don't do wagons. I don't do harnesses. I'm a city kid. And so... uh, yeah and for and for yeah Ken also you said you know you weren't sure we were coming to see the kind of dedication it takes to make something like this TP and then the further commitment to have uh in to have ponies uh, that are uh, not your traditional you know painted pony it's I mean I forget what the uh, the brand not brand but uh, what, that's the word I'm looking for, the breed. The breed, thank you. that's it. The breed of uh, animal, yeah, and address that for a second in a minute. but uh, to realize the amount of time and effort and money put into doing this kind of uh, authenticity, uh, oh my gosh. I, we respect that kind of stuff so much. Uh, and we we recognize the commitment that makes. and that speaks highly to to us of of, of people who make that much effort. And so here we are inside this 16-foot diameter teepee. And and the women are on one side, the guys are on the other side, uh, traditional. And in the center, yeah, there is a fire. But, uh, you know, it, it's not the kind of flaming fire that that most of us would make. But the, these are little sticks about the size of your thumb. And uh, just every few minutes, you you lean over, you push a, a stick in a little bit further to keep the light up. But, you uh, Uh, There's not a lot of smoke and it's not uh, it's not terribly bright. So the flickering fire, the the shadows on the sides of the teepee, the smoke wafting through the Through the uh, room. And and then you start talking about the things that uh, have gone before and the people that have gone before it it, uh, Surreal uh, Sacred in some respects, I think and then when we're done, and it's it was close to midnight, I think, when we finally said maybe we should stop. We could have gone all night. And we walk outside, and, and the ponies, we've been hearing, you know, stomping the ground just outside the teepee. And we go outside, and yeah, literally, because of the ground fog, we couldn't see 30 or 40 feet uh, horizontally. But yeah, the moon is full, and so it's almost directly overhead, and you look straight up, and there's the moon because the ground fog is only 20 or 30 feet thick. And, and that light mist, you know, it gets on your glasses and, and you see the picture that we took and, and it looks a little fuzzy. That's because the mist, uh, the little, little droplets of water are on the lens of the camera. And yeah, it was, that. Uh, I, I'm surprised it doesn't do that more often because that was pretty cool. So what was that breed? Spanish
3: Mustangs, Southwest Spanish Mustangs. And what, distinguishes, uh,
1: what distinguishes them from other cutters? Uh, they're they're
3: descended from old uh, old Indian stock, and I got two new ones now. The, all those that I had then are have died, but I got two new ones now, and uh, they are descended out of Choctaw stock, that uh, from Choctaw Indians. But uh, they're a smaller horse, uh, and they're not. They, when you throw that word Mustang on there, everybody thinks of BLM wild Mustangs. These are not wild BLM Mustangs. BLM Mustangs are feral horses, and yet have been escaped over, you know, hundreds of years. These are these are old style. They, they're they got the Spanish blood in them, the early Spanish blood
1: you had when we were there they had special markings on uh, describe those if you could
3: the the tiger stripes probably on the legs probably what you're talking about and on the line that duns and uh, also kind of a little dark dark cross coming down off of the withers uh that's that's that old that old primitive markings and you can you can have those in modern horses too modern breeds but they're they're really prominent in these this spanish mustang breeds but uh I'd like to go back and touch on something, too. You were talking about uh, the, uh, uh, trying to gather my thoughts, the work and stuff that that I do and how you guys caught that. That was a mutual thing. I want you to know that because a lot of people talk the talk. You walk the walk, literally. Uh, and you guys got, went out and did it. And my hat's off to you. I've never done anything like that. And I certainly wish I would have. Uh, and I kind of come at this from a different angle, from doing all this living history stuff. And to me, what's natural and normal, uh, most people don't get. I think you guys get it. Uh, my neighbors here, I think they they kind of get it, but they still don't, because they, they haven't quite experienced some of this stuff. But they, they humor me. <laughs>
1: yeah, they, yeah, exactly, they humor us.
3: <laughs> yeah, but I think you guys understand what I'm saying, right?
2: Yeah, I think I think we get it. Uh, we just don't live the life.
3: Yeah, you know. So anyway, enough of that.
6: I guess.
0: Had either of you ever been in Ken's teepee before?
6: Yeah, uh, I've been at some of the places where he's set up and played a part of an Indian, you know, in some of these campouts around Kansas. But otherwise, no, uh, I don't think ever been. Mm-hmm. Londa, Londa's talking so quiet. She said we probably had stepped in into one of his teepees sometime or other mm-hmm. down the line. But I don't recall exactly when or where. But.
0: Well, it sure was a unique experience for us, to. Yes. Yes.
6: <laughs> yeah. Really well.
0: Oh, he's yeah. just so incredibly talented in terms of trying to make things look authentic. Yes, he is. yes, he
6: is.
5: He is. Very <laughs> much so.
6: He's a genuine.
0: Yeah, did you? Um that's cool. I did not know, Howard, that you had actually gone on some encampments with him.
6: Well, not actually stayed there, but visited different places where he has I've yeah, I've I've been at some of his presentations and sometimes here in Kansas they'll set up an Indian camp and in a buffalo hunter's camp and things like that. And we've visited some of those rendezvous that they have, you know, for a few hours. And he's there for a probably a weekend or so. But
5: yeah, it's open to the public. So yeah, you can go and and, um check things out.
6: He sent a a picture to me here a while back from a number of years ago of me playing and with a bunch of Indians dressed up like Indians, one of their crude games. And uh, I I remember that day very well because I, I don't know what happened. uh, Stretched a hamstring muscle or something. (laughs) I, I had to walk backwards.
0: Oh, that would leave an impression.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) When we had the whole group together, he said that he appreciated you guys as being his friends because he felt like you, Accepted him for the things that he enjoyed doing and studying. He said he wasn't sure that they under you understood it totally, but you were very um, good to him and accepting of his hobby.
6: <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably probably true. <laughs> probably don't understand everything that he does.
0: <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah. Um, he's invited the school children. Like he'll set up his teepee in the yard, and he's invited them over there, kind of for a you know presentation and with his fire in there and everything and he just has on a a breech cloud or what would you call it a loincloth or something and the children they're a little bit <laughs> he has his body all dark with henna, and the children are a little bit uncomfortable with <laughs> they're wondering like what what's under there you know <laughs> <laughs> but but he's neat he's a neat guy <laughs>
0: Well, you know, that's when we were visiting and he hosted us that evening, he told us that specifically why he built that area in his yard was that little patch of grass with the trees around it and big enough for the teepee so that he could invite school kids in. So that's neat to hear that you actually have been there and seen that.
5: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he actually does that, has done that. So that's neat.
4: I have one question, and this has nothing to do with what Kenny's talking about right now, but what is a hand cart? What <laughs> <laughs> do you have a visual? I need it's a to... cart that you pull by hand. Like a wagon. Well, it, I assume
1: you're referring to the uh, the Mormon hand cart stuff.
4: Yes, yes, and how there was one in the yard when you bought your property.
1: Yeah, but, but other people used hand carts too, but typically uh, For the for the Latter-day Saints, it was an effort to get the European uh, poor people to Utah uh, at As as expeditiously as possible. So Brigham Young came up with the idea with some others that what we want to do is we want to make each family more or less responsible for themselves. So they got uh, fairly uh, lightweight carts about four feet by four feet on the deck and about uh, a foot to 18 inches deep uh, with two carriage wheels, but but they were wider carriage wheels. So the, the tread was uh, somewhere close to two inches wide. And then uh, in front of the bed, uh, you had a couple arms that came forward, one or two arms that came forward. And so some hand carts had kind of a T-shaped handle and others were kind of U-shaped mm-hmm. in front. And uh, oh,
4: off you system. go. You. And I and got.
1: Typically, it. Yeah, typically they try to get them to about 17 pounds of personal equipment per person, and, and then their food.
4: Okay. Thank you. Now I have a visual. Thank you.
6: But all they
3: had to do was pull that from the Missouri River to uh, to <laughs> Utah.
4: I'm, I'm catching on. Other than
1: that, not <laughs> much. Involved.
4: No okay, I, I didn't get it. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> now I
1: most, most of the, yeah most of them started at Iowa City, not not uh, from from Missouri, but uh, okay from Iowa City. and so about eleven hundred miles. Wow. Okay, that narrows
3: it down quite a
4: bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh wow, thank you. Okay.
0: So we didn't pull hand carts, thankfully. We would not have made it to Kent's house. He would have still been looking at his calendar, wondering what happened to Kevin and Denny.
3: It's another blowboard.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, when you were telling that story, I was thinking, we there was no way we could call people every night. If no. we made it to camp every night, that was a miracle.
4: <laughs> so
0: and we just it was all we had to do, all we could do to get down the trail
3: <laughs> well, after, seeing, after seeing what you're going through yeah it, it was is it was like i don't know why i thought that they would be staying in contact it was just <laughs> uh, was being selfish on my part but uh, uh yeah it makes perfect sense the last thing you want to do at the end of the day is contact people down the trail so should
0: we should we have contacted you absolutely <laughs> we just were going forward in faith hoping that people said what they would do and they would be there when we needed them and that's exactly what happened in your area
1: yeah right one, one of these days we'll uh do an episode about the the planning but I, I will share just a little bit um i had been thinking about doing it for a few weeks and i i was honestly scared to tell denny and uh so i finally broached and i said i, I I think I'm gonna to have to go hike the trail. And she looked at me and she said, well, you're not leaving me behind. <laughs> so, but uh, she started uh, insisting. Denny's the planner. I'm, I'm kind of swing for the fence and see what happens kind of guy. And uh, she said, no, you, if you're gonna have people coming along and, and over 200 people said they would hike with me at one point or another. And you're right. Most of them bailed. Uh, only a couple ever showed up. But uh, Denny said, well, if, if you're going to invite people to come along, then you're going to have to make provisions for them. And so that's why we had the porta potty That's why we had the other gear and uh, had to get insurance. Oh, my gosh. It just became a logistical nightmare. And I should have known better because uh, in, in the late 70s, I did work for Brigham Young University running a handcart program where we would take youth out for four days and Try to do a handcart experience with them, but uh, a moving camp is just an enormous organizational thing, uh, and so yeah, you Denny Denny insisted that I have for each night a planned campground, contact people, inform the sheriff, inform the hospital, and you know, just. Uh, <laughs> she was after me and just have you done that yet have you done that yet have you done that oh my gosh and and i got as far as santa fe and I said honey i know it's not going to work this way so we'll get what we have to have but beyond that we're we're not going to try to do that much definition
0: my expectations were so unrealistic about this trip (laughs) (laughs) but i will talk about that another day But yeah,
3: I'm, reality is, is a different ball game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what you think is going to happen and what actually happens is totally different. And yet, when I finished the trek, I realized it was so much better than what I had imagined. If it had gone the way I thought it was going to go, I would have come home worn out, disappointed, and had missed a lot. And so... Um, really what you guys did was created the experience that I needed personally and it was your examples and the way you lead your lives and the way you share with others it just that's what I needed from this trek and that's what I got when I came through your area and visited your homes here here so
1: well um, I I
3: think we live in a pretty cool place, don't you? Meron? I do too. I can't I think
4: of any place I'd rather live. <laughs> I, I,
3: I absolutely love where I live here. You know, and, I'll and, just and throw something
4: neighbors. in. One day we were coming home from Florida and we stopped at an old-fashioned diner. Well, actually in Sarasota, Florida. And I got to visiting with the people beside me on the bar stools and they looked at me and they said, you're not from here. And I go, really? <laughs> no, <I'm> not. <laughs> and they said, we're actually from Connecticut, and nobody acts like you. And I'm like, oh, excuse me, we're from Western Kansas. <laughs> and they said we could tell. There is, you know, like they just didn't even realize that people even existed that were open and friendly and yeah. didn't know a stranger.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm running into that a lot.
0: Well, when I left Kansas, I was so sad. I, I wrote in my journal, I love Kansas, and um, I spent a month walking through Kansas, and I would sit on the side of the road and have lunch, and all of a sudden, farmers would come up to me and say, what are you doing? Are you okay? <laughs> and, and I would be sitting among cornfields, and I would say, how did they see me? How did they know I was here? <laughs> and people would come out and visit with us, and I just... I love Kansas, so. Well, thank you. Yeah. We'll take that. Yeah. Very special place in my heart.